You're listening to The Fallout with Joey Semmel and Drew Gillis. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Fallout. Joey and Drew are finally back. What is up, guys? To bring you some more sports talk. And, you know, a little bit of a commemorative moment here, Drew, because this is the first remote episode of the Fallout. Yes. Oh, we just needed to let all those NBA playoff games kind of simmer a little bit in our tummy. Yeah, we didn't want to talk about any of the great Game 7s or... Uh, fantastic series between the Nuggets and the Clippers or anything that happened in baseball or opening week of the NFL or the NHL playoffs None or the of it. Tour de France or should I keep going? Or there was a, there was a big golf <laughs> Kentucky in there Derby. at some point. There was a Kentucky <laughs> Derby in there at some point. Um, I feel like I'm missing something still. We, I mean, we should probably just say every single sport because oh. they've all now played. <laughs> College football's back. College football's back, that's um, right. We did miss that. Big Ten did announce today they're coming back, so yep. all my Ohio friends will be thrilled about that. I still won't um, care because it's college football, but that's besides the point. I'm kind of with you, although <laughs> Carolina's kind of good this year. But what I want to jump in and talk about first is baseball. That's our go-to. That's our favorite. Yeah, I fuck with baseball. Let's do it. So we're going to jump right in with our over-under reactions. Drew, you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, it's sure? good it's to be a... back, dude. It's so good to say, be back. It's been a while since we did this. God I want to double damn. check. Yeah. Double check that you're ready. Dude, I checked and I'm ready. <laughs> All right, we've checked. All right, first one. Fernando Tatis Jr. 693 OPS in September means that he won't win MVP. Oh, yes. Uh, that's the right reaction. That's definitely the right reaction. He might win MVP, but if he slumps that hard throughout the month of September, there's no way he wins it. Um, his numbers are already falling back to the norm for MVP candidates. He was sitting on top of a crazy plateau in the National League. Uh, had 13 home runs in the month of August. I mean, just crazy. Had OPS above 1,100 for the season before September hit. The dude is putting up astronomical numbers, and he came back down to earth. And that's what happens over the course of baseball seasons. You know, last year we saw it with a couple different guys at the top of the race, especially Bellinger. Um, you know, came back down to earth at a certain point. This happens to the guys, and I think the end of season comes into factor more for MVB voting than the beginning of the season. The way I see it right now, the guy Although that's B- taking... Bellinger proves that wrong last year. I just want to throw that out. Well, I think he, I think he won it because Yelich got hurt. I, th- I, th- I think he won it because he hit like 450 in April and May and rode that for the rest of the year. He rode but... it to a certain extent. I don't think he would have won it, though, if Yelich hadn't gotten hurt. You know, if Yelich stays healthy, yeah. So Yelich wins that. Uh, I see the guy that's taking off right now and who had a good start and is continuing on that start and is leaps and bounds, in my opinion, ahead of other hitters right now in the league is Freddie Freeman. Um, you have to say that. Of course I have to say that. But the other two MVP candidates that I think we should talk about in the National League, those being Mookie Betts and Fernando Tatis Jr., those both have OPSs in the 960s. Where's Freddie's? In the 1,100 region. I mean, it's like there's a big jump there in terms of hitting. Uh, the, home, the homer numbers are a little low for Freddie, and that kind of hurts his case because people love their home runs. He's only at 11, while Tatis, is, well, Tatis and uh, Mookie are up at 15. Um, but the way I see it, I, I see it as the guy's got to be hot going into the end of the year. I think that's what wins MVPs more than anything. So I think Tatis struggling to this extent so far in September, and it's been half the month, I think this does mean that he loses the MVP case. 
I don't think he wins it. Um, but I think don't think Freddie does either. Let's put it that <laughs> I way. I can go with that. I think Mookie wins um, it. To be honest, I think Mookie wins it. I think Mookie deserves it. To be dead honest with you. Um, because of not only what he does with the bat, but what he does with the glove as well. Yep. Um, I, I mean, he's probably the best right fielder in baseball fielding-wise, and he's chilling with a 304, 380, 983 slash line and a 162 OPS+. plus. Like, um, nothing to complain about there. And frankly, with some of the guys slumping in that Dodgers lineup, he's had to carry them a little bit. Him and Seager have had to carry them a little bit. So, um I get it. It's most valuable player. And part of that is where would that team be without him? And when you look at the Dodgers, you want to say they'd be totally fine without Mookie Betts because they were last year and they were the year before and they were the year before that. But if you look at the numbers this year, Cody Bellinger has been terrible. Yep. Max Muncy's uh, hitting under Max 200. Max Muncy's been terrible. Yep. Jock Peterson's been terrible. Yeah, awful. Um, so they've needed Mookie Betts. They've needed every one of those 15 home runs, every one of those. Uh, 55 hits. Um, so I, I think it's his to lose, and we should keep in mind there's still a week and a half left in the season. We're recording this on Wednesday. Um, yes, yes, obviously. So I, anyone can win it from here. I think I think if Tatis gets hot again, he can still be in this yes, race. Yes, yes. Um, but if I had to pick right now, I wouldn't say him, and probably if I had to pick before the slump started, I might have still said Mookie, to be dead honest with you. All right, let's stay on the MVP discussion, but... Let's switch over to the American League. Um, overreaction number two is Mike Trout won't win MVP in the American League. I don't and know. If, I th- I think that is an underreaction. I don't think he should be anywhere close, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's tough because it's Mike Trout, first and foremost. And he's putting up a Mike Trout-like season. Um in a short season, that's just not good enough. That That's really what it comes down to. Guys like Jose Abreu are putting up numbers that are just so, so, so much better than the rest of their career because it's only a two-month sample size. And it's going to be hard for Trout to compete with that when he's like arguably the most consistent player in the league. So he could have 16 home runs, but a guy like Jose Abreu has the same amount and is just doing crazy stuff on the field and helping his team, which should not be in the spot that they're in. They're a good team, not a great team. He has kept them totally in that second seed can i read you a crazy stat yes oh crazy guess mike trout's guess mike trout's war in 2020 is it under two it's well under two wow well under two so does that mean his defense has fallen off that's where i'm kind of going with this is d war is negative one wow this year negative one that's interesting because i think if i think if we're talking about this conversation a while back no one cares right cuz we don't have the fielding metrics that we have today. Fielding so much a part of the MVP now and I really love that part. I love that you I have agree. to be I'm totally an outstanding defender. And Trout has been a great defender throughout his career but you can see signs that he's not the best out there, you know what I mean? I, I mean uh Jose Abreu's war 2.4. Um yep. Shane Bieber I, honestly is making his case to win MVP as a pitcher. Well, so so that's where I'm going. So I I think the three hitters are the two we just named? I'm gonna throw Tim Anderson in there because the guy's hitting 377. Yeah, yeah, hard to knock him. Um, yep. And Luke Voigt, who leads the league in home runs, and yes. absolutely carried the Yankees when all those guys got hurt. Right? It's hard to say. So it's those, hard to say he carried them because they lost so many games. Joey, the Yankees, the Yankees but lost won, a lot of games. They won so recently. many too because of him. 
They've won seven in a row. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, we're, we're back and we're healthy. And I don't think any team wants to play us in the playoffs. I, like I, 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 we should have made this one. In fact, maybe we'll ad lib here instead of, oh, we kind of have it as number three. So slow down for a sec. Um, we'll get to that. But want to point out Shane Bieber. And I said, I said, don't be shocked if a pitcher wins MVP this year. I picked yep. the wrong pitcher. I picked Garrett Cole. Yep. Um, but I said Shane Bieber, dark horse for Cy Young. Yep. And I said, don't be surprised if a pitcher wins um, MVP. And I think I'd give the American League MVP to Shane Bieber, and I wouldn't hesitate. I got to be honest. It's I mean, the guy's 7-1 with a 1.53. He's got 102 strikeouts. Yeah, 102 that, that, strikeouts. His strikeout numbers are absolutely through the roof this Absurd. year. Here's my, here's my problem, and I'll say this quickly. Here's my problem with Shane Bieber winning the MVP. His pitching numbers are astronomically amazing this year compared to like what really any pitchers are expected to do ever because the season's been short and he's been just totally on his prime the entire year. However, you can say the same thing about hitters, and we have hitters putting up seasons that we've never seen before, and Still, it's just though, hard he, to compete with I, that. I, I don't think I agree with that. It's just you hard know, to compete like, with Jose Abreu doing what he's doing for his team. His team should not be in the position they are in. Uh, but like, I don't think that's just because of him. That's because of guys like Tim Anderson, well, like it's because Eloy of Jimenez, like Ru- Luis it's Robert. It's because of the rookie of the year, forward. Luis Robert. Um, that, I think that it's is because another of Tim Anderson it. and Eloy, too. Well, there, right? there's I mean, so much there. There's so much there that, that we were hoping would come together and really did. How Nick Magical came up and is hitting 350. So, But, but it's, it's, hard, it's really hard for a pitcher to pass guys like that when the pitcher can only play every fifth day. And I understand that, you know, like pitchers have won MVP in the past. You know, they can overcome that. I think with seasons that these guys are having right now, it's going to be really hard for a pitcher to surpass that, um, so, especially with the emphasis we put on home runs now. I, th- I think that's the biggest I, I, I want to say this. I want to say this. Um, he's 7-1, right? 7-1. <laughs> yeah. His ERA plus is 303, by the way. Uh, just Jesus, throwing that out there. Jesus. But um, you take away those seven wins, and the Indians aren't in the playoffs. So if you want to talk about valuable, I think that he's a guy who just – he deserves to be in that discussion, and Absolutely. I said it at the beginning of the season. I, I'll say it now. If he finishes the year the way he started it, I don't know how you give him. Uh, all I'm saying, don't be surprised if he wins. Now, final overreaction because we're drowning on. The Rays are the best team in the American League. Let's make it simple. That's not simple. Yes. Well, uh, overreaction. No. I think that's a huge overreaction. I do, too. That is the definition. That is the the definition of an overreaction. But is it the wrong answer? I'm not quite sure. I I don't think they're the best team in their division, and I understand I'm a Yankee fan, but look what happened when they got healthy. They immediately won seven in a row. Hey, so, you guys got to do it for longer than seven games in a row to prove a point. I'm sorry. Like, I, I, we don't. I, I mean, you, we, you sucked. Do. You we, do. Sucked. we sucked. We sucked when our five through nine hitters were uh, – with, with Brett Gardner to hit in the three-hole when Tyro Estrada, Dude, Tyler Wade, Kyle Higashioka were all that. And I just <laughs> – said Kyle Higashioka negatively he has three homers tonight Um, (laughs) but the lineup's raking again the starting pitching's been really really good Davey Garcia looks amazing so yep he does he's he's like he's like the American League version of Sixto Sanchez I think here's what I'll say and I agree with that by the way uh but here's what I'll say things are never as bad as they seem and things are never as good as they seem so we are even if you think we're somewhere in the middle between that really bad stretch or our really good stretch at the beginning of the year, a really good stretch now, 
I still think we're better than the Rays. Here's how, here's how I see it right now. I see it as the Rays have played up to their potential, up to the top of their potential throughout the year, and they are three games ahead of the Yankees. Is that correct? Yeah, assuming they uh, hold on to their 13-1 to lead right now. But Look, yeah. look at their lineup. I'm just going to make this really simple. Look at their lineup and tell me that it's as strong as the Yankees' healthy lineup. You can't. It's just not. One thing, and I want to give us both credit because the two teams we talked about as being dark horses are the one and two in the American League right now. Yeah, with I know. The, the Rays and the White Sox. So pat on the back for us. Um, but <laughs> Well, when you shoot out 50 hot takes, you're bound to get some right. <laughs> Fair enough. But um, I want to say what made that lineup scary at the beginning of the year, what made that lineup scary now is their ability to play matchups. Right, I mean, I mean, they started a lineup the other day that had nine lefties, All lefties. against yes. a righty starting. So, like, it's, I actually don't know. Did they win that game? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't <laughs> they remember. might have lost I, that game. <laughs> um, point is, is they're scary going into the playoffs. They scared me at the beginning of the year. They scare me now. I think when we're healthy, we're better. We're not going to have Paxton. That's going to hurt. Um, but I, I think the Yankees can do it. I think the White Sox can do it. And if you want to go look all the way down there at the seven seed, I think the Indians could do it with that pitching staff, especially in a three-game series. I think all and the teams you that's, just named. That's, that's, that, uh, before, before I let you go, that's the wrinkle to all of this <laughs> is you got to make it through that three-game series first. Yes, obviously. And yeah. The, but, but like the thing about the three-game series is you, you were just telling me the Braves lost a three-game series to the Orioles. Well, that we're about shouldn't to. Happen. Hey, we haven't yet. Hey, let me you, check you know that score. I mean. you, f- <laughs> fair enough. But like, <laughs> you guys shouldn't lose a three-game series to the Orioles, and yet it happens. Shit, so, we're losing. We're losing in the ninth, five to one. It's not looking great, guys. Bottom line. It happens. There you go. It's scary. So, it, is, it is terrifying. Um, it is. Terrifying. It, the, it's like the wild card I, game on steroids. I want to throw one thing out. Um, bring back something you actually mentioned. You mentioned three teams, and these three teams I can all see being better than the Rays. The White Sox, the Yankees, and actually the Indians. Uh, and and, and, throw and, the Twins in there, too. And I, I would throw the Twins in there. They've had, they've had a couple issues this year. Um, but there are teams where their top end of talent is just, like, their ceiling is just higher than the Rays. I think, the, I think the ceiling for the Rays is abnormally low for how well they've achieved this year. Uh, and I don't see that playing out well once they enter the playoffs. And I, that's why I actually don't think they're the best team in the league. But have they played like it to this point in the season? Absolutely. It's hard to say no to that. All right, so now we're going to jump in with the NBA, and we got a lot to cover because we missed a lot, to put it simply. Did and, we? Um, there are some surprises here. Um, just, so, just a couple. <laughs> just a few. Um, hey, hey, Joey, can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. Um, before the playoffs started, I think that we were talking about who we picked to win it all. Uh, you picked the Bucks. I picked the Bucks, and and who did you pick? I think you picked the Clippers. I did pick the Clippers. Should we retire now? Um. So <laughs> here's the thing, right? Dude, I should have stayed with the Lakers. Sorry, I had to throw you, that in you there. Jumped I off the Lakers. I should have stayed in there. I should have stayed in there. Oh my god! But here, uh, oh. okay, let's tee up the segment, and I'll answer your question about the Clippers <laughs> as we continue. Okay, so we're gonna do a segment. 
It's called Who's to Blame. We're going to say three teams who are now out of the playoffs. We're going to talk about who's to blame for them being where they are. So why not? Let's make the Clippers first. Let's um, do it. Who's, they're, yeah, who's they're the blame? most interesting case here. So I'm going to go first <laughs> because I actually, you know what? You go first. All right. You're not going to like my answer um, because we've we've talked about this just a little bit in the chat, just enough for me to know that you have a wrong opinion on this. And I'm just going to tell you it's just a bad opinion. It's right. You have to blame. You have to, have to, have to blame Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. There's no one else to look to. When your stars go for a combined two for 18 in the second half of Game 7 versus a worse Nuggets team. No one can convince me this Nuggets team is better than the Clippers, by the way. I'm throwing that out right now. The Nuggets have played up to their ceiling, and the the Clippers played down to their floor. Like, two for 18 from their stars in the second half is inexcusable. There's no way you can sell it to me otherwise. In my opinion, when you go to win a championship, you have to acquire a top five NBA player, like a just superstar. And, and those guys we all saw today on the, the all-NBA first-team list that came out. And all five of those guys made a fun run with their team in the postseason. You need that top five guy. Here's why it didn't work for Kawhi Leonard. Because he shot one of 11 in the second half of Game 7. Because in Game 7s, he averages 24% from three and averages under 20 points a game. He is one of the most clutch players in the league. Until you get to the clutch time. Game 7. And he blew it again. I, actually, I shouldn't even say he blew it again. Doc Rivers blew it again. Maybe we should blame Doc Rivers. But Kawhi Leonard going 1 of 11 in the second half is inexcusable. And Paul George has been either an all-star or a bench player throughout the entire return of the season in the bubble. Uh, you don't know what you're going to get from him. So some blame goes to him as well just for being a what-the-fuck player in your roster. Like, what the hell are you going to get from him? Kawhi Leonard needs to show up in Game 7. And he did not show up. That is the answer to this. He did not show up. One of 11 in the second half. He did not show up. No I foul shots. See the no foul shots. No foul shots in the, th- in the fourth quarter. None. He did not get to the line. It's Kawhi Leonard's fault. And Paul George as well. But the- Kawhi is their number one guy. And he did not step it up. Such a crutch. And so- just the easy way out to blame Kawhi and Paul George. That's that's what that is. That's what that is. You took the easy way out. You took the the headline way out. And I took the I took the two for eighteen in the second half on the way out. Yeah. Here's what I'll say: Kawhi and Paul George to blame for Game Seven. Yes, absolutely. But they shouldn't have been in Game Seven, and that goes ignored for whatever reason. They shouldn't have been in Game 7. They blew double-digit leads in Game 5 and Game 6. They blew a 19-point lead in the second half in Game 6. That's a joke. That's a joke. Okay? Now, you know who's to blame? When I made my argument for the Clippers, what did I say? What did I say? You actually said that, and this goes contrary to everything you ever said about playoff basketball, but you said their depth is what brought them over the edge. Their depth is what makes that team different. Because which is, they which had is different than guys. anything you've ever said about the playoffs. I want to point that out again. But the difference was, was their depth was the two six men of the year um, and two top ten players in the NBA. Um, so when I say the depth doesn't matter, like when I talk about that with the, the Trailblazers, I'm talking about um, Hassan Whiteside and... 
who? <laughs> I mean, Hassan Whiteside and Gary Trent Jr. Yeah, but when I talk probably. about that with the Clippers, I'm talking about Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell. M- Montrell Harrell, right? So, what did Harrell average in the playoffs, Drew? You want to know? He was just piss poor. He averaged 10 and a half points per game. How many rebounds? Three. Three rebounds from their center. Three. Pitiful. Three. What did Lou Williams do in the playoffs? So I want to point this out. Last year, Lou Williams in only six games um, averaged 21 points and seven assists on 43% shooting. Right? What did he do this year? Same 43% shooting. Not great. Not terrible. Um, he averaged 12.8 points per game and four assists. You know what he shot from three, Drew? 23%. 23% from three. Pitiful. You know how many threes he took a game? Four. Pitiful. That's not very good. He made less than one three-pointer a game. That's pitiful. That's not very good. So I think it's easy to blame Kawhi and Paul George. You know Kawhi averaged in the playoffs, just for the record? Oh, he was he was dirty in the playoffs, dude. He averaged he averaged twenty eight nine and five. He on was essentially he, almost fifty percent shooting. He was the best player in the playoffs until this happened, right? And so I don't think it's fair to blame him because he dragged them there. And and Paul George was bad, but he wasn't Lou Williams and Harold bad. He only averaged twenty points, and this is in the playoffs as a whole. So this includes those first couple games where he was just ass. He was so bad. Um, but really, after those first couple games, he kind of got it going a little bit. Um, and I think that matters. Um, but when, when a team needs to win in a game seven, so, 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 so okay, go ahead. L- 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 yeah. <laughs> let me finish. Right. So he, he gave him 20 points a game still. Right. So it, it, that's throughout the whole playoffs and in the Nuggets series, he was better than that. Um, but I, I just, it's hard for me to sit here and blame Kawhi when he was, absolutely brilliant all postseason on both ends of the floor on both ends of the floor so it's easy to blame Kawhi. it's easy to blame paul george because that display in the fourth quarter yesterday was one of the most shameful things i've ever seen a basketball team go through i'm not kidding absolutely pitiful i'm not kidding it was awful more than Kawhi and paul george in a lot of ways right I think the person who deserves blame are two people, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, right? <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yes. They deserve a lot of blame here. Yes. When I say blame, I mean credit because they were amazing they in took games it, five, six, and seven. And, they, both, and, they both took it to a level that I don't think we thought existed for them. Th- there were question marks about Murray after he struggled in game seven against the Jazz, and he went out and dropped 40, you, you know, yep. and—, and Jokic had a triple-double. Jokic had, what, 15 assists or whatever it was? It was something crazy. I know at one point he had 19 boards and 15 Um, assists in the third quarter. I mean, just video game numbers. What he did yesterday, the way he controlled the game, was so fun to watch. And, and, you know, I don't know if they'll beat the Lakers. I don't think they will. I don't think they will. But at the same time, at the same time, I said that about them and the Clippers, too. And here we are. And I actually said that about them in the Jazz after Game Four when it was three-one. I mean, I feel like a lot of people did then. But, you know, I, I will but, say, but I was looking my, at my this. roommate from Denver can vouch for this. I said they were going to come back and beat the Jazz. I did say that. <laughs> I thought they were going to get killed by the Clippers, though. I think I think a lot of people did, and I think there's there there is blame to go around because they were up three-one and they should not have lost this series to the Jazz or wow to the Nuggets. They should not have lost the series to the Nuggets. Plain and simple, it's all about star players. It has to be Kawhi. He's second team All-NBA. No one else on that team is All-NBA. He has to take it to that next level. He is responsible for his team's success in a Game 7. 
I want to transition uh, from a star who didn't show up in Kawhi to a star who didn't get the chance to show up in Giannis. Um, I don't if that might give away who I am blaming here, but <laughs> um, should I jump right in? Yes, Question go mark? for it. Go for okay. it. Go for it. This was Mike Budenholzer's fault, um, and I think he gets some of the blame. He gets most of it. Uh, and I also think this was coronavirus's fault in a lot of ways because this team was clicking and they lost their chemistry. They seem to have lost their mojo in the bubble. And I think that means something, and I think that's okay. But if you're asking me to blame one person, it's Mike Budenholzer. Um, so Giannis in the playoffs was Giannis, basically. Um, gave them 26 points, 13 rebounds, almost 14 rebounds, and did it shooting 56%. So he was Giannis, even shot 32% from three, which I'll remind you, better than Lou Williams. Um, yeah, <laughs> Better than Kawhi Jeez. in his career in game seven. Also true. Um, <laughs> but this was Mike Budenholzer's fault, right? We're, we're in the playoffs. You got to play your guys. Giannis even said it. I can play more um, than they're letting me play. And uh, uh, let's set an over-under here. Um, how are I'll ask you this. No over-under. I'll ask you this. How many minutes do you think Giannis averaged in the playoffs? If it's if it's 29 or 30, I'm going to be so mad. 30.8 minutes. That's in the just playoffs. infuriating. He gave ju- them, you just he have gave to them, do better. He gave them 26, 14, on, and, and 14 on 56% shooting in 30 minutes. That's just and embarrassing. they wouldn't give him more minutes. They wouldn't give him more minutes. And it's just he that had to come fucking out and simple say, sometimes. I know, I know. And he, he had to come out and say, I deserve more minutes. And Boone didn't play him. And then he got hurt, of course. So I still think they had, speaking of coming back from 31, they had a chance to do it if he didn't get hurt, just saying. But, I agree, um, I agree. Middleton, Middleton ended up with 35 minutes a game. Part of that is because he played like every yep. single fucking minute um, in that overtime game. They did have an overtime game, right? Uh, yeah, where he was single-handedly the player carrying he, them. Yeah, right. Yes, right. I, I thought I remember like, that. It, it he, was it was literally Chris Middleton versus the world. It was so, it so, was it was fun to watch. He did he did stuff I didn't know he was capable of doing in that game. He shot poorly. He shot below forty percent from the field in the playoffs, but still thirty-five percent from three. Um, and he gave him twenty points a game, and that's to go with seven rebounds and six assists. Yeah. So I don't want to blame Giannis, and I don't want to blame Middleton. No, because uh, I, I want to put quick thing in here. Middleton was forced to play not his game because of the circumstances given to him. So it's unfair to look at his shooting percentage. Look at his overall numbers. That's the best indication of how he played. And he played the way you want your number two to play. He absolutely did that. So Budenholzer, easy answer. (laughs) So here's my answer, and it's a little different. Um, Because actually what I just said, what, what I said about that's how you want your number two to play. Sorry, I was wrong. That's how you want your number three to play. But where's the number two? This front office has to put together a better team for a playoff run, and they know that now. And the fact that they've admitted that already, they've already admitted to talking to Giannis and and agreeing to go into the luxury tax, correct me if I'm wrong here, to agree to go into the luxury tax to sign a superstar and pair him with Giannis. Now, that has to be done before your championship run, not after, before. And the fact that all of us could recognize this and go, is Chris Middleton really a number two? No, he's not. I mean, he's clearly not. He was a great player this year and through the playoffs. Performed how you would expect him to play. 
almost at all times. He, he his floor is very high. But but goddamn, you can't have a guy. You can't have a guy like Chris Middleton who can't really make his own play if he really needs to. You can't have that guy as a number two. You need the playmaker. Giannis needs to be a big in the playoffs. That's proven itself, I believe. He can't run through the wall. He has to play as a big in the playoffs more than the regular season because defenses are more aggressive. You have to have the playmaker. And everyone knew this. I mean, everyone. Everyone recognized this. You let a guy like Malcolm Brogdon go who showed out to have a pretty good year over in Indiana. Was he the number two? No. You have to do better than Malcolm Brogdon as well. But you especially can't let Brogdon go and do jack shit to address it. You have to bring I, I, someone in. That's that's a, that's a fault that I won't forget on the on the Bucks front office. You have to address the loss of Malcolm Brogdon and actually turn it into a plus. You have to give Giannis the guy that he needs to make plays because Giannis cannot be that guy in your playoffs. I think that's been proven to this point. The reason his success is limited is because he is a big and he needs a playmaker. I want to throw something out there to you. Um, if I'm the Bucks. I am offering Middleton, probably a DiVincenzo, and a fuck ton of picks to go and get Chris Paul. I don't even think it would take that much. It it probably would because of the year he just had and the leadership he just displayed throughout the year. I mean, um, at his age, though, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. But but what are you willing to package? Almost anything to get a guy like Chris Paul. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 I hear you. I hear you. You want it? You want to keep Middleton, but. Odds are you're going to have to include a Middleton if you want to go get Paul because that Thunder team wants to compete right now, and Middleton's a great pairing um, with Schroeder and uh, Gilgis Alexander. You know who Middleton replaces on their team that needs to be replaced desperately? Danilo Gallinari. Well, he, he's more of a four. He's, he's shockingly tall. He's, he's like 6'11". He, he is shockingly tall, but crazy, I think he but. plays a very similar style to Chris Middleton. <laughs> Uh, um, and 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 he needs to be replaced if the Thunder want to make a run. He's he's ju- he just doesn't cut it. And Middleton could be their guy. I actually think that's a great idea. Those two teams should make a deal. Yep. But again, I will say they have to figure this out before the season starts. They have to get their chemistry in order. We saw chemistry problems. I would argue over in the Clippers organization. Now you would say opposite, but besides I the point, you need to chemistry. establish no, that chemistry. You need to make that <laughs> trade or that free agent signing. Before the season. And it's so, inexcusable to assume that this roster that you tried it out in the playoffs to, to last year and up. underperformed, it's, it's inexcusable to say that they'll do better this year. No, you have to do better as a front office. To wrap up, that's what I think they need to do, and that's what I think they will do this offseason. I would not be shocked, and I haven't seen this anywhere. I'm shocked no one's talking about it. But I would not be shocked to see Chris Paul in a Milwaukee Bucks uniform in a couple months. I would not either. Um, and deal I deal that makes that sense anywhere. for both teams. Deal that makes sense for both teams. Uh, so to close out, I want to ask you, who's to blame for the Raptors? I'm going to trot it back to what I said about the Clippers, about Kawhi Leonard, about being a second-team All-NBA player. Also on that second team is Nikola Jokic, actually, so good for him. Uh, should he, be first team. He should be first team. <laughs> and he showed out like an NBA All-NBA player. Jamal Murray uh, will be on those teams next yes, year, Yes, 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 so. yes. And arguably Donovan Mitchell as well. But, the, God, we could talk about that for days. Uh, Pascal Siakam was an all-NBA second-team player. Did he look like even an all-star caliber player at all during these playoffs to you? No. but No. No, he didn't. 
I mean, that's simple. If the the question is who's to blame for the Raptors being out, I think this is one of those where he's no supposed one's to blame. No, 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 no. He's supposed to be their star. He's a second team All NBA player. I, I, I would he argue Lowry's supposed to be their star. Yeah, but he's not All NBA. If you want to take it by who had the best year this year, like. I think Pascal became the leader of that team, or at least should have, with the way he performed on the court in the regular season. And he just did not take that step in the playoffs whatsoever. Like, didn't even come close to scratching the surface. So, he was was not great in the postseason, don't get me wrong. Um, But he wasn't so much different to the point where... So, so he, uh, let, let's just throw the numbers out. Average 22 a game in the regular season and 17 a game in the postseason. Um, I don't think it's fair to blame him because I think the Raptors ran into a better team. I mean, I mean, in our last episode when we talked about this series, we knew it was coming. Everyone knew it was coming, right? So when we talked about this series, what we said, and, and I think what my argument boiled down to for this was essentially the Celtics are a better version of the Raptors. And you saw that. It's not by a ton. The Raptors are the grittier, the better coached, um, the better probably defensive team outside of Marcus Smart. Um, But the Celtics are just a better version. Go player by player, right? Celtics are just a better version of the Raptors. they, They just have more talent. It's just It was pretty clear on the floor. Right. So, so in that so, sense, I, don't I guess think anyone's that, yeah. to blame. Okay. In that sense, I agree. Um, what's What's troubling to me is that the entire year, I think we were led to believe by the way he played on the floor that Pascal Siakam had taken that step to be an elite player, and he was just not. He's just not an elite player. I'm not ready at all after this playoff performance to say that a guy that put up 17 points a game is an elite player. I think the only exception to that rule could be Chris Paul, and it's because of everything we've spoken about. Also, the assist numbers are way higher than Siakam, but the leadership, I think, that he brings to the team is just, it, it, you can't even measure it. Immeasurable. That's the word. The, the other thing I want to say Siakam is Siakam is just, not an elite player. But I don't know if that's fair to say. I, I think we have to take everything with a grain of salt that happened in the bubble because it was in the bubble, first of all. Um, and second of all, like I said... They just ran into a better version of themselves, and that goes for uh, Siakam and Tatum, which was the matchup, right? Yeah. That goes for Siakam and Tatum. Tatum is and Siakam are relatively similar players, both good athletes at the four, both can handle the ball, both can distribute. Um, but tell me, even before, even after this year, I don't think there's anyone in the league who would have taken Siakam over Tatum. Yeah, no yeah. one. Yeah. I, I mean, so... Pascal Siakam literally ran into a better version of himself, a slightly more athletic version, a slightly better finishing version, slightly better shooting version, a slightly better defensive version. Just overall, S- yeah. Siakam just, might be better, to, a little better defensively. but And Siakam's um, a better rebounder, but but honestly, that's not what they needed. So I, I, for this one, I'm going no one to blame. I, I get it. The instinct I wanna, in I, situations I, like this. You, you, you want to blame the stars in all the situations. I get it. That's the instinct. But <laughs> I think in most of these stories, there's just a little more. A I, little I, more I, there. I, I definitely agree in this case. And this is the last thing I'll say about this because we got to move on. I, I do think that less blame falls on Siakam here than in the other series to the other people that we discussed, whether it's the front office or Budenholzer for the Bucks, whether it's Kawhi or Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell off the bench for the Clippers. But I also, I just want to point out, I am so impressed with the, with the leaps that every single player on the Celtics has seemed to take. 
I mean, all of them have turned it up a notch for the playoffs. I would agree. And you hope that from your players, right? You always hope that your players turn it up for the playoffs, but they all have just boomed. And I, I mean, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have become premier scoring options uh, and both play really good defense, very sound defense, both locked down Pascal Siakam. When they had Jalen Brown step up on Siakam, he did his job well. Then you have Marcus Smart, a great defender. Out here getting triple doubles. Out here getting triple <laughs> I mean, doubles. Uh, you had guys <laughs> just take leaps on that team that we didn't think would happen to well, that so, level at least. And I think there's something to be said for a team really just outplaying themselves and doing better than the team facing them could do. And I think that's what the Celtics did. This time, really last NBA comment. You want to talk about that on the other side? How about the Nuggets? I, I mean, yes, yes. Um, and, and this is something that I've seen talked about, and it's such a good point. I mean, think about the last time we played a game and uh, like a real regular season game with fans uh, before Rudy Gobert got coronavirus and everything got shut down, right? Three months passed, and then we played a game in the bubble, right? So what's the usual offseason? It's about three months. Um, So essentially, you're seeing Jamal Murray with another offseason under his belt. You're seeing Tatum with another offseason under his belt. You're seeing Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown and Jokic with another offseason under their belt. So he steps forward. You're seeing another year, essentially, a a, a new year um, from a lot of these guys. Like you watch Jamal Murray always, you could tell, had this in him. Yes, Um, yes. Same with Donovan Mitchell, two very similar players. Right. Right, but never quite showed it. We really need to end this segment, for fuck's sake. But Jokic, the, I think the shape that he brought himself to, like losing that much weight and getting in better shape, I, I think he was able to do things on the basketball floor against the Clippers that he's never been able to do before. With, with the amount of work that he's given with the ball, with the amount of work he has to put in on defense, with the amount of running he has to do up and down the floor to keep up, I think he's never had to do that and never done it in his career up until this point, and without getting into the shape that he did during quarantine, I don't think it could be possible. So I want to give a big shout-out to Nikola Jokic for taking probably, in my opinion, the biggest step forward in the playoffs. Mm, mm. His I know. teammate wins that. His teammate I know. wins that. I know. Easy. I knew, I knew but, um, you'd say that. I knew you'd say that. But it's, and, and it's, it's the two it's of them. Easy. It's the two easy. of them. That, I think it's the two of them. That's why they are where they are. Yeah. Close things out this week with the NFL, and I know we took our long hiatus. We wanted to get an episode out previewing week one and the whole NFL season. We didn't, so now we're going to recap week one and maybe talk a little bit about week two, and we're going to do this, Drew. Are you ready? Let's do it. We're going to do this in the form of the best thing we saw last week and the worst thing we saw last week, so why don't you go first? Best thing I saw this week, um, as I think it hurts to say this for me, but Cam Newton. Cam Newton's performance with the New England Patriots and with Bill Belichick in particular is the standout performance of the week to me. Um, 15 rushes for 75 yards and two touchdowns. I don't think any, I don't think anyone really expected that. You know, people expect him to use his legs. People, people expect him to run the ball, but not to that extent. And the, most of the playbook that Belichick drew up were read options for Cam Newton in which he could excel against, uh, honestly, a lacking Dolphins team. I think their game plan against the Dolphins came in perfectly. Cam threw for 15 of 19 for 155 yards. So essentially what Belichick decided was, we're not going to let Cam throw this game away literally with his arm. 
uh, because he is prone to some inaccuracy. He went 15 of 19. So so they're giving him easy to make passes and then read options in which he can excel because that I, it's just what else can you expect right from Bill Belichick that they wrote up a perfect game plan for Cam Newton and it scares me as a guy that thought the Bills would go 13 and three and win the AFC East. It does scare me because it it looked like a better fit than I would have envisioned. So just piggybacking off of that, I, I like that pick because um, so QBR's ESPN stat and it takes everything a quarterback does, the defense, the offensive line, whatever, the team, it takes all of into account rushing stats. Um, you know where Cam Newton ranked in week one? I bet top five. Not quite. He was dang, seventh. Dang. Um, he, he was seventh. But bottom line, he's up there. Um, and if he's going to do that all year, if he's going to be able to give them that, not only through the air, he was good, not great through the air. I think that'll even get better. But if you can give that to them on the ground every week, then that team's going to be scary because they don't need as. And Tom Brady is not the Tom Brady of old, right? Tom Brady, um, if we want to go look at that QBR stat, Brady was all the way down at 27 last I, week. I was just looking that up. Um, oh, yo, last week. Last week. I want to look that up for last year, so give me a second. But they don't They don't need a quarterback to be top 10 in QBR. Because Brady, I, I don't think Brady was last year, and I know you're looking that up, but I, I don't think Brady was last year. They don't need Cam Newton to be 7th at QBR. So if he's going to do that every week, they're going to win a lot of games. Because that defense, yes, it lost pieces, but it was a historically good defense last year. And it's still a great defense this year, as evidenced by the three interceptions um, of Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I know I closed that with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um <laughs> But still, so um, this team is going to be good. It just Belichick's so good at what he does. McDaniel's is so good at what he does. It's and like you said, it's a little bit scary to give Bill Belichick someone like Cam Newton, who's so different than Tom Brady, um, and see what he can come up with. And you're seeing it, and it's going well. Um, and if Cam goes 15 for 19 every week and adds two touchdowns on the ground, watch out. Yeah. So last year, Tom Brady actually finished with 19th rated QBR. It was a 54.5. And I mean, that's so much lower than I actually would have thought, but I did not think he would be top 10. Um, and he's behind guys like Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Jameis Winston, uh, Carson Wentz, Jimmy Garoppolo. Like he's behind all these guys in QBR from last year and they made the playoffs. So, and, and they went 12 and four. Right. So Cam Newton being seventh this week, do I think he'll do that all season? No, because last year's seventh was Deshaun Watson. I don't think Cam is as good as Deshaun Watson at this stage in his career. But but do I think that he could finish above 19th where Tom Brady was last year? Absolutely, yes. And it, it's interesting that one of the guys you mentioned was Jameis. Just to flip this and close this conversation out, um, the guy Brady's replacing actually finished higher than he did in QBR. Um, take that for what you will. Isn't now, that pretty funny? I, but to be honest with you, I think um, the lack of turnovers will help that offense out a lot as I it goes too. on. I know Brady had the pick six and everything, but um, yeah, I still think he's a better fit in Tampa than Jameis Winston is. Um, but I, I said this earlier and you made fun of me. I think Jameis Winston is a top 20 quarterback in the NFL. So uh, well, right, by right last year's standards, he definitely was. Especially because if you go so, into the twenties, you're talking about guys like Joe Flacco. So, right. So, so, yes, so I'm yes. just saying, top twenty quarterback in the NFL. But so I want to transition to my favorite thing, 
from last week, and we'll go from an experiment up there in New England to an experiment on the other end of the country in Arizona. The Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins experiment, it went, to say the least, well. <laughs> um, they they upset the Niners on the road. I don't think anyone thought that was going to happen. And Garoppolo was, like, he was terrible. I mean, he went 19 for 33, threw for two touchdowns. Um one long one he Mostert, but that defense looked pretty good for the most part uh, in Arizona. I know I know that was where the question marks were. People thought the offense would be really good with Kenny and Drake there for another year with Kyler and with the addition of DeAndre Hopkins. And what happened week one? DeAndre Hopkins just came out, went 14 catches for 151 yards. 151 a, yards. That's a career-setting mark for him in receptions in week right. one with a new quarterback. Right. So, and And people were asking me, like for fantasy football advice about DeAndre Hopkins. And they said, like, should we be worried about him? He doesn't have Watson anymore. I was like, go look up his numbers before Watson got there or when Watson's been hurt. Um, DeAndre Hopkins, more than most people, has shown it does not matter who's throwing the ball to him. He's going to produce. Um, He is incredibly talented. And you saw it. I mean, he had 10 more catches than the next closest guy, and it was Larry Fitzgerald who's still chugging along. Um Hmm. So this is this is a team that I think could surprise people in the West. I didn't think that, but after seeing it, <laughs> seeing what I saw. I think I did mention that to you, and then you made well, me change my so, mind preseason. What, uh, what happened was you were like, God, the Cardinals are going to be so good. And I was like, what do you have them at? You said 6-10. and 10. I was like, that's one game better than me. Like, I, I didn't know what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think they'll be better than 6-10. and 10. Now, the little wrinkle to that is – all four teams, or the other three teams in that division, um, are the Niners, the Seahawks, and the Rams. All of whom are very good. All of whom are, except for the Niners, are one and zero. Right. So, um, I, it, it's a very, very scary division. But don't be shocked if Arizona makes some noise out of there, and if Kyler Murray's going to rush for ninety-one yards as well uh, every week. I was just going to point out, actually, some I, shit. I, I want to take that for a second. Kyler Murray, what we just talked about Cam Newton going 15 for 75 and two touchdowns. Kyler Murray went 13 rushes for 91 yards and a touchdown. Uh, led this week for all rushers in yards per attempt at seven yards per rush. Um, and he, he was one of those guys higher than Cam in QBR, by the way. Yes, yes. Um, and, and he was, he was fifth last week. And just looking at his numbers from last year, like he was a great runner last year, absolutely. 544 yards and four touchdowns on, on 93 carries. Uh, He's going to surpass that easily if he goes on this rate. I mean, like, th- th- what a great week one for him against a great defense, against a great team overall. Uh, I don't think you can ask more from from Kyler Murray or DeAndre Hopkins going after week one and into week two. All right, so Drew, give me give me the worst thing you saw last week. What made you most angry? What frustrated you the most? I have to give a little bit of a lead into this. A this fr- should be good. <laughs> a friend of mine is in one of those fantasy leagues where you have to choose a team to win every week, and you can't choose the same team more Survivor than Survivor League. Yes, yes. That's what it's called. Sure. <laughs> um, so, so going into week one, I'm noticing, you know, it's week one in the NFL. The NFL has made the schedule so that a lot of week one matchups are premier matchups. Um, and I didn't really feel comfortable about a lot of these games. The, the closest I would say I got to comfortable about a couple were Bills-Jets. Uh, I did think the Bills would beat the Jets pretty handily. Um, but my friends disagreed, so then we decided, well, we should come up with another option. Another team that will soundly win week one. 
And we chose the fucking Philadelphia Eagles. What a and joke. You, and, and what you looked, a joke. You looked, you looked really, really correct uh, for about a half. I did. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was talking to my friend and I was like, see, I hooked you up. You're good. I, I got you. I, maybe I can jinx in football, not in baseball as much. We know I can in football, I guess. Look at 28-3. Um, boy. Yeah, thanks. I don't even think I jinxed that one. I think we just suck ass. Iggy uh, jinxed that one, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. He did. He did. <laughs> <laughs> but but then they 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 go up seventeen nothing, and I'm texting my friend like, "Yeah, you're good to go." Twenty seven straight points from Washington. Twenty seven, and Dwayne Haskins didn't even have a good game. I mean, that's just inexcusable. You're seeing Carson Wentz out there throwing rookie level passes. Like, he, in my opinion, looked worse than he has in the last two seasons combined. Uh, just making really poor decisions. Um, you you saw Zach Ertz, who should be, well, at least he thinks he should be. That might change now. He thinks he should be a top three paid tight end up there with that tier of Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. He made a crucial drop on fourth and three on their own 42 in the fourth quarter. Washington got the ball back, was able to get down for a field goal, and that pretty much iced the game that put him up by 10 late in the fourth quarter. You you can't have that from your top playmakers in Carson Wentz and Zach Ertz. Then you also have Miles Sanders out, so that hurts the running game a little bit. But, I mean, come on. this Washington is a team you should be able to beat in the air and then pound them on the ground until the game is over. And Boston Scott did nothing from the backfield. Carson Wentz got absolutely no protection from a pitiful-looking offensive line. I mean, just so bad. I'm used to this team having a pretty decent offensive line. Horrible. Horrible offensive line last week. Uh, Two really poor decisions on interceptions. Ertz with a big drop. There's nothing to be happy about if I'm an Eagles fan. I didn't see anything that looked good after they went up 17-0, which honestly is what you would expect going up against Washington. So I I just want to add to that. The offensive line and the defensive struggles, those are supposed to be the two things that carry this team, right? Right, And, and Wentz as well, and Wentz in that passing game has gone through so many iterations and so many little struggles over the years. But they always figure it out. They always find a way, right? I didn't see much that made me think they're going to be able to find a way this time. I didn't either. That's um, the scariest part. That's why this is the worst thing in week one, because only, I didn't see only hope. Only silver lining I might give is Dallas Goddard. It, he went for eight one hundred one in a TD. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a silver lining, I guess. And if I'm the Eagles, man, I'm running as many two tight end sets as I can. Yeah, I and think keeping they have as to. many of those receivers off the field as I can. Hell, throw Boston Scott out there as a receiver. Um, we know what he can do when you get him involved in the passing game, but. Um, Went to the two interceptions. You didn't even mention the fumble. He fumbled twice. Oh, only yeah, that's lost, right. That's he, right. Only lost one of them, but he fumbled twice. I, I mean, it was just a mess. Just an absolute mess. And on the defensive side of the ball, they got exposed in that second half. Absolutely exposed. And the interceptions didn't help field position-wise, whatever. Um, you shouldn't let Dwayne Haskins drive you down all the way in and score a touchdown. Give no, it to that Peyton shouldn't Barber. happen. Peyton Barber to jam it in. Like, what, what is that? So the thing, Peyton, um, Peyton Barber, I think, I might have the and, number and the wrong other here. Thing, the other thing, too, is this defense, they're letting former quarterbacks catch touchdowns. Logan <laughs> Thomas was the tight end. He's the starting tight end right now, and he was the one catching touchdowns. He was a quarterback There's in just, the NFL yeah. like three years ago. 
It's it, it, just a bad all-around performance from the Eagles. and, and the Terrible. Worst, the worst part, because of what you said about it just not looking up at all. Their offensive line looked like the worst that I've seen in a while. Uh, and that includes some shitty-ass offensive lines from the Falcons. Uh, th- that, that offensive line looked like they could do nothing right. Granted, I, I will give Washington this. If they have anything, their defensive line is pretty good. Especially with the addition of Chase Young, they, he and he actually had a great Seriously. game. Seriously, he he had a great game, great great first game for second overall pick. But but come on, we expect so much more out of this Eagles front line, and they gave us nothing, and that gives Ooh, me I'll, no hope going forward. This might be this might be the Cowboys division to run away with, and um, they just lost. They lost game from. One. Uh, Washington's the only team that's one and zero. So, um, but if we want to stick with the QBR thing before I transition to my worst thing I saw, yep. Um, Carson Wentz dead last in QBR. Jesus, I, he was like below five Baker. points, five points below the rest of the field. Uh, Nineteen points below Baker, by the way. Jesus, but, um, Jesus. Give me, give me a guess on what that number is. Don't cheat. Sixteen. <laughs> lower. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Lower. I said and that kind of as a joke. Lower. 14.2. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's really, really bad. He was five points clear of Sam Darnold to look like a train wreck. That's fucking on pathetic, Saturday. Man. So and and and, um, and let me point out that Sam Darnold was going against one of the premier defenses in the league. So there's just no excuse for Wentz. There really isn't. I, I know this team has been that team who just finds a way to figure it out, but I think this is gonna be their toughest task to do it. I'll I be agree. Honest. I agree. Um, all right. Worst thing I saw last week, I was in Ohio, so um, all of it. let's give it some justice. <laughs> I, I say I was in Ohio like I'm not still in Ohio and won't be for the next three months. I'm still in Ohio. So um, Cleveland Browns, <laughs> I mean, oh. they uh, Ravens are good. We both have the Ravens in the Super Bowl. Lamar Jackson is the MVP. Um, they have three guys out of the backfield who would probably start for 50% of the league. Yep. Um, they have Mark Andrews, who had, after Saturday looks like he should be ahead of Ertz in that tight end list. Um, they're talented. They have one of the more complete defenses. They're talented. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, good God. The Cleveland Browns just had nothing. <laughs> I, I mean, nothing. Baker continues to be a train wreck. Yep. Just an, 21 for 39, 189, a touchdown, and a pick. I mean, that's bad. That's just not going to cut it in the NFL. Bad. That's they, just not going to cut it. They fumbled three times, um, including both of their running backs. Hunt got his back. Um, but if, if you do want one silver lining and it, it yep. doesn't come from the passing game, it doesn't come from the defense, other than the fumbles, um, the two backs, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, both average 5.5 yards per carry or more. Yep, very Chubb efficient. Gave him six. Um, so... They play tonight. They play Thursday night. We're saying this on Thursday night. It'll come out after this, so I could be really wrong. Um, speaking of the passing game, Odo Beckham Jr. had 10 targets, only three catches. That ain't great. That's not great. Um, if I had to guess, they will lean on that run game all night. Um, it's good. The offensive line's not bad. It can get some push, and they're playing the Bengals. Um, so hopefully they have a little bit more of an offensive rhythm, but – Good God, what happened to Baker, man? I, I mean, 
You're the one who told me he was going to be a top 10 quarterback this year. I wish you hadn't um, brought that up. Yeah. I was. I had it planned. It's yeah, in my I, notes. Know, I know. Um, I know. I, can I take that notes. back already? It's week one. This is my overreaction <laughs> Monday. <laughs> like, I want to take that back immediately. Uh, he doesn't do anything that looks impressive on the football field whatsoever. He reminds me. He looks me, scared. He, he looks he scared. Looks he looks scared. He reminds me exactly of how Sam Darnold looked in week one and all of last year. And I mean, you see flash, scared. you see just a little bit of like, okay, wow, he made a good throw there. And we could say the same thing, by the way, about Mitchell Trubisky. What a crazy game that was between the Bears and the Lions. He's going to be decent this year. Trubisky makes some just god-awful throws and then comes back and throws a dime. And honestly, honestly, Trubisky looked better week one than Sam Donald and Baker Mayfield. And that's that's just really, really, really bad, especially for the Browns who expect, I think, to be a, a team that plays a role later in the season. I, I think they could see themselves in the playoffs, and actually I saw them in the playoffs, and I think you saw them very close as well. I, I'd really quickly like to change that. <laughs> I got to check where I had them. Hang on. I, 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 you might have had them 8-8. Eight and eight. Um, I had them 9-7 and seven and just squeaking in in that 7 seed, but, but, but really, like you, you can't go 9-7 and seven if you have Baker at quarterback playing the way he played uh, last year and game one. Week one of this season. I mean, that's just a piss poor for performance. I did have them at eight and eight. They're yeah. not going to go eight and eight if they look like that. No, they're week. not going to go eight and eight if they look. <laughs> I like mean, that. that was absolutely miserable. Um, and that is an overreaction, by the way, because you're right. They were against the Ravens, but it's still, still worth noting that he looked just fucking terrible. I want to close things out, and I'm setting a timer. One minute to talk about the Falcons, then I'll take a minute to talk about the Giants. Let's talk about <laughs> our teams really quick. One minute. One minute. All right. I will. I will cut you off. Ready? Right, that, set. Go. For the Falcons, you know that gif of the NBA player on the sideline that's like just shaking his head and then all of a sudden he's like, well, he has that look in his eyes that's like, well, that's not so bad. You know what I'm talking about? I do know that gif. Yeah, that's how I felt about our team because I watched the team and just go, Jesus fucking Christ, not again. And then I see the offensive and defensive lines actually performing and I'm like, well, that's the best thing I've seen in Falcons football since 2017. <laughs> that's the most promising thing I've seen because because the rest of our defense looks probably like the worst in the league. Our defense was just so, so bad, and it's not because of Russell Wilson. It's because we're terrible. But our defensive line actually made pressure. We actually pressured the quarterback, and our offensive line actually protected Matt Ryan to throw a ball. And we actually got runs up the middle for five yards with Todd Gurley. So I think there are promising things to see on the Falcons' front lines, but ultimately this team won't do anything because the game plan, the, the, the play calling on offense is too vanilla and the defense just doesn't have enough talent in the back seven. All right. That was exactly a minute. Well done. It was a little longer, but Thank I'll let you, you go. Thank you. Um, setting a timer for a minute for myself. I'm not timing Ready you because I'm not an asshole. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I let you go. Ready, set, go. Giants actually give me a sense of optimism. I'm not going to lie. Um that game against the Steelers, boil, they lost by 10. Boiled down to two plays. Two. Two. Jones led the 19-play drive, and then from the three-yard line threw a pick. And then on the subsequent drive, there was a fumble that fell. Uh, uh, Juju made a really nice play on it, but Juju recovered it. And if the ball bounced slightly differently, the Giants would have recovered it, no question. Um, there were four Giants around and one Juju, and it kind of fell right to Juju. Um so 
two plays made the difference right there, and we could be having a very different discussion right now about the Giants. But Jones looked really, really poised and really, really good, and this is with he had the most pressures of any quarterback in the league last week. Um, so sense of optimism there. Um, Darius Slayton's an absolute stud. Yeah, he looked I great. Mean, yep. He's amazing. He's going to be so good. Um, now, the offensive line looks really, really bad, uh, as evidenced by Saquon Barkley's 15 carriers for six yards because he got hit behind the line. Um, let me think about this. Every single time he touched the ball, just about, <laughs> or so it felt. Um, so that was a little scary. And then they were winning in the first half, and then the Steelers realized, wait, their corners are bad. Uh, what's one way to beat bad corners? Let's just run as many crossing routes as possible. Um, and it works. But Bradbury looked really good. Martinez looked really good. We just don't have a second corner, and that's going to be scary, and that's why we're not going to do well until we have one. Yep. What's up, DeAndre Baker? <laughs> I, think How, we both, I, I think we both actually saw promising things from our bad teams this week, which is always I good agree. to see week one, um, especially against uh, two decent teams, really, two teams that yeah. should make the playoffs. Yep. I want to ask you one question real quick because we did lead in by saying we were going to talk a little bit about week two. Um, so I'm just looking at the matchups right now, and I want to point out a couple that I think – are going to be really cool matchups this week, and I want you to pull out a couple as well. Uh, I think for, for, for non-biased reasons, I think Falcons-Cowboys is actually a big matchup because the Cowboys need this win. They really need to just take the reins of the NFC East this week because no one has yet. The Eagles failed, obviously. The Giants aren't going to win it. The Cowboys need to win this division, and they're going up against a Falcons team that does actually have a lot of firepower if they can ever get good play calling. But miracles happen on this Falcons squad. I've seen them win some crazy games in the past that they should not have won. The Cowboys need this win. They have to deliver. And I want to point out one more game, the Sunday night game between the Patriots and the Seahawks. There's already been a lot of buildup because of what Bill Belichick said about Russell Wilson today, saying that he's probably the most underrated player in the league, and he thinks there's no one better in the league. And actually, not a terrible take. He might be right. He might be right. Uh, but besides that, every single Seahawks, uh, every single Seahawks Patriots game has just been a great game to watch since I can remember. I mean, one of them ending with a goal line stand by the Seahawks, uh, like a huge hit on Gronk at the goal line, a uh, huge goal line stop. Just two really good teams going at it Sunday night, and I'm excited to see how that plays out. For me, let's go with two one o'clock games this week: um, Rams Eagles. Very curious to see how the Eagles come out after that performance last week, especially against a good team like the Rams. And um, if you want to think head to head, both team, both the, if you still think this is the Eagles and Cowboys division, then think about it head to head. Cowboys lost to the Rams, right? So if the Eagles could beat the Rams, then they're kind of picking up a game here. So that's a big one for them. I'll be honest, I don't think they will after looking how they looked last week. Um, And then let's go with the one right below it uh, on ESPN scheduled. I want to see Broncos Steelers. Um, I'm curious about that because the Broncos looked good, not great this week. Um, and the Steelers played the Giants. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious to see how they both look against each other. And I want to see Drew Locke against an absolutely premier defense. He kind of got one last week, but I think the Steelers defense is still one of the scariest in the league. Well, so, you got you got to throw um, this out there when you're talking about the Broncos too. From week one, they played a, a good Titans defense, but they did not have their number one receiver, Cortland Sutton. Um, right, so which, which is big. He, him he, back, he also might not they, they be back this They lost Philip Lindsay though. Yeah, they did lose Lindsay. I think Sutton is a bigger play for them than Lindsay is. I mean, um, absolutely. But. Yeah, 
but but Sutton might not be back also. He's got that AC sprain, uh, which could take a couple weeks to fully recover. He could be in limited action this coming Sunday. But regardless, I think he's going to get some playing time. He's going to get some snaps. And, and he's the biggest playmaker, the d- biggest difference maker on that offense, I think. How about Noah Fant last week, though? He looked <laughs> really, really good. I know Save you love that one. Win. Save me a fantasy win. <laughs> You've been listening to The Fallout. Thanks for tuning in.